chapter forty six part one of supplements to the fourth book from the world as will and idea volume three by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter forty six on the vanity and suffering of life part one awakened to life out of the night of unconsciousness the will finds itself an individual in an endless and boundless world among innumerable individuals all striving suffering erring and as if through a troubled dream it hurries back to its old unconsciousness yet till then its desires are limitless its claims inexhaustible and every satisfied desire gives rise to a new one no possible satisfaction in the world could suffice to still its longings set a goal to its infinite cravings and fill the bottomless abyss of its heart then let one consider what as a rule are the satisfactions of any kind that a man obtains for the most part nothing more than the bare maintenance of this existence itself extorted day by day with unceasing trouble and constant care in the conflict with want and with death in prospect everything in life shows that earthly happiness is destined to be frustrated or recognized as an illusion the grounds of this lie deep in the nature of things accordingly the life of most men is troubled and short those who are comparatively happy are so for the most part only apparently or else like men of long life they are the rare exceptions a possibility of which there had to be as decoy birds life presents itself as a continual deception in small things as in great if it has promised it does not keep its word unless to show how little worth desiring were the things desired thus we are deluded now by hope now by what was hoped for if it has given it did so in order to take the enchantment of distance shows us paradises which vanish like optical illusions when we have allowed ourselves to be mocked by them happiness accordingly always lies in the future or else in the past and the present may be compared to a small dark cloud which the wind drives over the sunny plain before and behind it all is bright only it itself always casts a shadow the present is therefore always insufficient but the future is uncertain and the past irrevocable life with its hourly daily weekly yearly little greater and great misfortunes with its deluded hopes and its accidents destroying all our calculations bears so distinctly the impression of something with which we must become disgusted that it is hard to conceive how one has been able to mistake this and allow oneself to be persuaded that life is there in order to be thankfully enjoyed and that man exists in order to be happy rather that continual illusion and disillusion and also the nature of life throughout presents itself to us as intended and calculated to awaken the conviction that nothing at all is worth our striving our efforts and struggles that all good things are vanity the world and all its ends bankrupt and life a business which does not cover its expenses so that our will may turn away from it the way in which this vanity of all objects of the will makes itself known and comprehensible to the intellect which is rooted in the individual is primarily time it is the form by means of which 
that vanity of things appears as their perishableness for on account of this all our pleasures and joys disappear in our hands and we afterwards ask astonished where they have remained that nothingness itself is therefore the only objective element in time that is that which corresponds to it in the inner nature of things thus that of which it is the expression just on this account time is the a priori necessary form of all our perceptions in it everything must present itself even we ourselves accordingly first of all our life is like a payment which one receives in nothing but copper pence and yet must then give a discharge for the copper pence are the days the discharge is death for at last time makes known the judgment of nature concerning the work of all the beings which appear in it in that it destroys them Quote, and rightly so for all that arises is worthy only of being destroyed hence were it better that nothing arose End quote. thus old age and death to which every life necessarily hurries on are the sentence of condemnation on the will to live coming from the hands of nature itself and which declares that this will is an effort which frustrates itself what thou hast wished it says ends thus desire something better hence the instruction which his life affords to every one consists as a whole in this that the objects of his desires continually delude waver and fall and accordingly bring more misery than joy till at last the whole foundation upon which they all stand gives way and that his life itself is destroyed and so he receives the last proof that all his striving and wishing was a perversity a false path Quote, then old age and experience hand in hand lead him to death and make him understand after a search so painful and so long that all his life he has been in the wrong End quote. we shall however enter into the details of the matter for it is in these views that i have met with most contradiction first of all i have to confirm by the following remarks the proof given in the text of the negative nature of all satisfaction thus of all pleasure and all happiness in opposition to the positive nature of pain we feel pain but not painlessness we feel care but not the absence of care fear but not security we feel the wish as we feel hunger and thirst but as soon as it has been fulfilled it is like the mouthful that has been taken which ceases to exist for our feeling the moment it is swallowed pleasures and joys we miss painfully whenever they are wanting but pains even when they cease after having long been present are not directly missed but at the most are intentionally thought of by means of reflection for only pain and want can be felt positively and therefore announce themselves well-being on the other hand is merely negative therefore we do not become conscious of the three greatest blessings of life health youth and freedom so long as we possess them but only after we have lost them for they also are negations we only observe that days of our life were happy after they have given place to unhappy ones in proportion as pleasures increase the susceptibility for them decreases what is customary is no longer felt as a pleasure just in this way however is the susceptibility for suffering increased for the loss of what we are accustomed to is painfully felt 
thus the measure of what is necessary increases through possession and thereby the capacity for feeling pain the hours pass the quicker the more agreeably they are spent and the slower the more painfully they are spent because pain not pleasure is the positive the presence of which makes itself felt in the same way we become conscious of time when we are bored not when we are diverted both these cases prove that our existence is most happy when we perceive it least from which it follows that it would be better not to have it great and lively joy can only be conceived as the consequence of great misery which has preceded it for nothing can be added to a state of permanent satisfaction but some amusement or the satisfaction of vanity hence all poets are obliged to bring their heroes into anxious and painful situations so that they may be able to free them from them dramas and epics accordingly always describe only fighting suffering tormented men and every romance is a rarey show in which we observe the spasms and convulsions of the agonized human heart walter scott has naively expressed this aesthetic necessity in the conclusion to his novel old mortality voltaire who was so highly favoured both by nature and fortune says in entire agreement with the truth proved by me le bonheur n'est qu'un rêve et la douleur est réelle and he adds il y a quatre-vingt ans que je le prouve je n'y sais autre chose que me résigner et me dire que les mouches sonnaient pour être mangées par les araignées et les hommes pour être dévorés par les chagrins before so confidently affirming that life is a blessing worth desiring or giving thanks for let one compare calmly the sum of the possible pleasures which a man can enjoy in his life with the sum of the possible sorrows which may come to him in his life i believe the balance will not be hard to strike at bottom however it is quite superfluous to dispute whether there is more good or evil in the world for the mere existence of evil decides the matter for the evil can never be annulled and consequently can never be balanced by the good which may exist along with it or after it mille piace non valiono un tormento petrarch that is a thousand pleasures are not worth one torment for that a thousand had lived in happiness and pleasure would never do away with the anguish and death agony of a single one and just as little does my present well-being undo my past suffering if therefore the evils in the world were a hundred times less than is the case yet their mere existence would be sufficient to establish a truth which may be expressed in different ways though always somewhat indirectly the truth that we have not to rejoice but rather to mourn at the existence of the world that its non-existence would be preferable to its existence that it is something which at bottom ought not to be etc etc very beautiful is byron's expression of this truth Quote, our life is a false nature tis not in the harmony of things this hard decree this uneradicable taint of sin this boundless upas this all-blasting tree whose root is earth whose leaves and branches be the skies which rain their plagues on men like dew disease death bondage all the woes we see and worse the woes we see not which throb through the immedicable soul 
with heartaches ever new End quote. if the world and life were an end in themselves and accordingly required theoretically no justification and practically no indemnification or compensation but existed for instance as spinoza and the spinozists of the present day represent it as the single manifestation of a god who anima causa or else in order to mirror himself undertook such an evolution of himself and hence its existence neither required to be justified by reasons nor redeemed by results then the sufferings and miseries of life would not indeed have to be fully equalled by the pleasures and well-being in it for this as has been said is impossible because my present pain is never abolished by future joys for the latter fill their time as the former fills its time but there would have to be absolutely no suffering and death also would either have not to be or else to have no terrors for us only thus would life pay for itself but since now our state is rather something which had better not be everything about us bears the trace of this just as in hell everything smells of sulphur for everything is always imperfect and illusory everything agreeable is displaced by something disagreeable every enjoyment is only a half one every pleasure introduces its own disturbance every relief new difficulties every aid of our daily and hourly need leaves us each moment in the lurch and denies its service the step upon which we place our foot so often gives way under us nay misfortunes great and small are the element of our life and in a word we are like phineas whose food was all tainted and made uneatable by the harpies two remedies for this are tried first eulabea that is prudence foresight cunning it does not fully instruct us is insufficient and leads to defeat secondly the stoical equanimity which seeks to arm us against all misfortunes by preparedness for everything and contempt of all practically it becomes cynical renunciation which prefers once for all to reject all means of relief and all alleviations it reduces us to the position of dogs like diogenes in his tub the truth is we ought to be wretched and we are so the chief source of the serious evils which affect men is man himself homo homini lupus whoever keeps this last fact clearly in view beholds the world as a hell which surpasses that of dante in this respect that one man must be the devil of another for this one is certainly more fitted than another an arch-fiend indeed more fitted than all others appearing in the form of a conqueror who places several hundred thousand men opposite each other and says to them to suffer and die is your destiny now shoot each other with guns and cannons and they do so in general however the conduct of men towards each other is characterized as a rule by injustice extreme unfairness hardness nay cruelty an opposite course of conduct appears only as an exception upon this depends the necessity of the state and legislation and upon none of your false pretenses but in all cases which do not lie within the reach of the law that regardlessness of his like peculiar to man shows itself at once a regardlessness which springs from his boundless egoism and sometimes also from wickedness how man deals with man is shown for example by negro slavery the final end of which is sugar and coffee but we do not need to go so far 
at the age of five years to enter a cotton-spinning or other factory and from that time forth to sit there daily first ten then twelve and ultimately fourteen hours performing the same mechanical labour is to purchase dearly the satisfaction of drawing breath but this is the fate of millions and that of millions more is analogous to it we others however can be made perfectly miserable by trifling misfortunes perfectly happy not by the world whatever one may say the happiest moment of the happy man is the moment of his falling asleep and the unhappiest moment of the unhappy that of his awaking an indirect but certain proof of the fact that men feel themselves unhappy and consequently are so is also abundantly afforded by the fearful envy which dwells in us all and which in all relations of life on the occasion of any superiority of whatever kind it may be is excited and cannot contain its poison because they feel themselves unhappy men cannot endure the sight of one whom they imagine happy he who for the moment feels himself happy would like to make all around him happy also and says que tout le monde ici soit heureux de ma joie if life were in itself a blessing to be prized and decidedly to be preferred to non-existence the exit from it would not need to be guarded by such fearful sentinels as death and its terrors but who would continue in life as it is if death were less terrible and again who could even endure the thought of death if life were a pleasure but thus the former has still always this good that it is the end of life and we console ourselves with regard to the suffering of life with death and with regard to death with the suffering of life the truth is that the two inseparably belong to each other for together they constitute a deviation from the right path to return to which is as difficult as it is desirable if the world were not something which expressed practically ought not to be it would also not be theoretically a problem but its existence would either require no explanation inasmuch as it would be so entirely self-evident that wonder concerning it or a question about it could arise in no mind or its end would present itself unmistakably instead of this however it is indeed an insoluble problem for even the most perfect philosophy will yet always contain an unexplained element like an insoluble deposit or the remainder which the irrational relation of two quantities always leaves over therefore if one ventures to raise the question why there is not rather nothing than this world the world cannot be justified from itself no ground no final cause of its existence can be found in itself it cannot be shown that it exists for its own sake that is for its own advantage in accordance with my teaching this can certainly be explained from the fact that the principle of its existence is expressly one which is without ground a blind will to live which as thing in itself cannot be made subject to the principle of sufficient reason which is merely the form of the phenomenon and through which alone every why is justified but this also agrees with the nature of the world for only a blind will no seeing will could place itself in the position in which we behold ourselves a seeing will would rather have soon made the calculation that the business did not cover the cost for such a mighty effort and struggle with the straining of all the powers under constant care anxiety and want and with the inevitable destruction of every individual life finds no compensation in the ephemeral existence itself which is so obtained 
and which passes into nothing in our hands hence then the explanation of the world from the anaxagorean nous that is from a will accompanied by knowledge necessarily demands optimism to excuse it which accordingly is set up and maintained in spite of the loudly crying evidence of a whole world full of misery life is there given out to be a gift while it is evident that every one would have declined such a gift if he could have seen it and tested it beforehand just as lessing admired the understanding of his son who because he had absolutely declined to enter life had to be forcibly brought into it with the forceps but was scarcely there when he hurried away from it again on the other hand it is then well said that life should be from one end to the other only a lesson to which however any one might reply for this very reason i wish i had been left in the peace of the all-sufficient nothing where i would have had no need of lessons or of anything else if indeed it should now be added that he must one day give an account of every hour of his life he would be more justified in himself demanding an account of why he had been transferred from that rest into such a questionable dark anxious and painful situation to this then we are led by false views for human existence far from bearing the character of a gift has entirely the character of a debt that has been contracted the calling in of this debt appears in the form of the pressing wants tormenting desires and endless misery established through this existence as a rule the whole lifetime is devoted to the paying off of this debt but this only meets the interest the payment of the capital takes place through death and when was this debt contracted at the begetting end of chapter forty six part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine